My amen. amen. You know, God has something that he wants to speak to your heart today. Are you ready to receive what God wants to say? What if it's not necessarily something you might like? Are you still willing to receive? See, we have to decide in our heart, what is it that we want today? What do we want to hear from him? Because he's going to speak to you today. I promise you this, because I'm going to read a bunch of scripture to you. So he's going to speak to you today. Are you ready to hear what he wants to say? Are you ready for revelation that God wants to bring? Are you ready for renewal that God wants to start? Are you ready to be transformed by the word of God? That was weak. Come on, God wants to do something supernatural in you. God wants you to be, God wants to do a miracle in you today. Amen? Amen. Amen. We, uh, we are going to continue in the uh, study that we've been going through in Luke, and we are in chapter 4. We're going to look at, uh, again, verses 22 through 30. You can go to the app. The notes are in there. There's sermon notes and all that, uh, so you can follow right along as we go through, and uh, there's a couple spots you can fill in the blank. Um, but I want to continue in this because I, I believe this to be of utmost importance. And I, I'm going to take our time and go through this because there's some things in this that are, again, viably, absolutely important to us in our lives today with what God is saying in here from yesterday. So let's read through this and then I'll explain where we're going to go with this. this uh, to get it all in context, looking at verses 22 through 30. And all spoke well of him, talking, again, talking about Jesus, he's, he's come to Nazareth, he's come to the synagogue, he's come to the church there in Nazareth, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. So they were all excited, it was all good, and they wanted to hear what was being said. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless, you will, doesn't, isn't it just incredible how he knows our nature? He knows you. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're going to say. He knows what they're saying and about to say. He says, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So he's wanting them to do miracles for them. He's wanting them to heal. He's wanting them to do what they, what they wanted him to do. They were trying to tell Jesus what Jesus was supposed to do. And Jesus went, he said, and truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in, Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And then this next story that he tells, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through the midst, he went away. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, that your word has been released into this place today. I pray that your word would do what no man can. 
I pray that you would bring healing to the broken, that you would minister to the lost, that you would show us the way, that God, we would open up and receive from you, Lord, a new depth of relationship that we did not have before. Lord, let us be changed and transformed as your word went into this place today. Let it find its resting place in the hearts of those that you have intended for this time. And we give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So last week, we started talking about true prophets, talking about what a true prophet is. There's a lot of times that word is thrown around, that declaration is thrown around, and we talked about a true prophet. And I'm not going to go back through all of that, but what we did find is that the true prophet, the ultimate prophet, the, as, as Moses in Deuteronomy 18 declared, there would come a prophet, a capital P prophet, and it, he would come, and uh, he, we know that he did come. His name is Jesus, the Christ. And Jesus operates in this world in many different roles, in many different positions, one of them being prophet. Jesus came, Jesus was operating in the role of a prophet. He was a prophet. And so what would happen is that the word of God would come to the prophet, and the prophet would speak the word of God to the people. Amen? That's what the, the prophet was doing. The prophet was declaring scripture. And the scriptures were being written as the prophets were declaring, thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. And again, we talked about that, you know, a prophet, a true prophet is always right. And so the, the Jesus, they're talking about the prophets, Jesus being the prophet, and now the prophet is headed to Nazareth. He's coming home. He's coming to those who are the most familiar. He's coming to those who have seen him grow up. He's coming to his hometown. And we talked about the response of the people, how the people reacted to Jesus coming as, as a prophet to his own hometown. And today what I want to do is continue in this because this whole thing kind of, ah, oh man, I couldn't, it was, I had to figure this out because it seemed weird to me that in this whole thing that Jesus, he, all he did was quote a couple of Old Testament stories and the people got so mad at him that they wanted to kill him. Now, I just read those same stories that Jesus declared. I just read them to you. I highly doubt, I highly doubt that there's anyone in here that wants to kill me because of it. But that's what they did. I mean, they were that enraged with what was going on when Jesus tells these stories. And I thought, you know, there's got to be something deeper going on. I understand the whole, you know, the Gentiles and the Jews and the separation and all of that. And, and, but there's got to be something deeper going on in some of this as to why the people responded with such vitriol and such hatred with such disdain for the things of God. And so in this story, Jesus, you know, he's coming into town and he comes to the synagogue and, and the people are so excited to see him come. They're like, oh, Jesus is here. The whole thing, it kind of reminds me of the triumphal entry when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and the people were crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the same people that were calling, Hosanna, Hosanna, a few days later were calling out, crucify him. Here, he's coming home, he's coming to Nazareth, and he's, and he's being received with open arms. Jesus is here, Jesus, our, our hometown boy is home, he's here. And it's just a few sentences later that we see they're trying to shove him off a cliff. What brought the change in this day? What turned the celebration into 
the desire for a, you know, a lynching, basically. And I think there was this point when Jesus was ministering, and how many, you know, some of you, maybe you've had this experience just here in church, where, where there's something that's being said, and you're like, oh, wow, this is awesome, this is great. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, that stung. And, and Jesus is having this moment with them, and all of a sudden, you can just almost see it. The people are like, ouch, wait a minute. Jesus is getting kind of firm, kind of stern with us here. And in verses 24 and 25, it says this, but in truth, and again, this is the prophet speaking the word of God. He's in agreement with the Lord. He says, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut for three years and six months. It was a great famine, a great drought had, had struck the land. And that great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. So Jesus He's in this place, he's preaching in the synagogue, teaching in the synagogue, and he tells them, okay, you know what, I'm going to take you to the Old Testament. We're going to go back and we're going to look at the Old Testament. And he takes them to 1 Kings chapter 17. So I want to go there. I thought, you know what, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus told this story. We should give a little more credence and a little more depth to what it is that Jesus is talking about and figure out why did Jesus bring these stories to them? What is the depth? What's the story under the story? What's going on and why is it that Jesus brought these stories and why did these stories bring such wrath to the people that they wanted to kill him? So I want to take the time to dive into what it is that Jesus is looking at. I am going to go through I'm going to go through a lot of scripture today. I'm going to go through a lot of scripture today. Come on, we should be excited about the word of God. There should be something in us that gets excited when God's word is proclaimed. There, there should be something in you that gets really excited when I am reading the word of God because God says that faith comes by hearing the word of God. That means that as I read the word of God today, your faith is going to be encouraged. Your faith is going to be increased. God is going to challenge you. God's going to speak to you. God's going to call you into something. He has a place where God is going to invite you today to join him by faith. Amen. And so we should get excited about that because the word of God is for us. He's not against us. This is something he has done to give us. It's true. It's all good. It's God's love letter. It's his love story. It's his word to you and to me. It's all from God. It's in there. It's for us. Yes. Come on, amen. amen. And so what we're going to do, and I want to say this purposefully because there's a reason I'm going to say it this way. God has given us his word so that we could grow in understanding about the God we worship. Yes. Yep. All right? And, and again, there's a real depth to that. In fact, that's a part of why this story is being given to us here today. So in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 8, it starts off and it talks about how there's this tremendous famine in the land. There's been a drought. It's created a famine, you know, three and a half years. This is just a... a a time, a, a really horrible time in Israel's history. God is judging, he's placing judgment on his people. I mean, he's upset with them. This is a time when King Ahab is the king of Israel. And King Ahab, as you know, 
or you should know, or read about it if you don't know, King Ahab was married to Jezebel. Jezebel was a, a, a worshiper of Baal. And because of that, there was some horrible things that were happening in the land. She had create, caused, or it's not her fault, but Ahab had chosen to begin to worship Baal as well. And he began to set up Asherah poles and began to set up all sorts of foreign idols. And God got mad about it. God was ticked off at the people of Israel. And so God brought judgment. He said, okay, you guys want to ignore me and you want to, you want to worship your foreign gods? Here, let's bring some drought to the land. Let's bring some famine to the land. Let's see you being thirsty and you being hungry. Let's see how your foreign gods begin to help you out. Let's see if this doesn't turn your heart back to me and God is he's in this place where this is what he's doing and that is what happens here in verse 8 it says and the word of the Lord came to Elijah now again that was how the prophets would work the prophets they were called they were ordained by God the word of the Lord would come to the prophet the Holy Spirit would anoint that word and they would go to the people of God and declare thus saith the Lord this is the word of the Lord and that's what the prophets would do. That was the anointing that a prophet carried. A real true prophet. The word of the Lord came to them. They declared the word of the Lord. And God's people had to choose what they would do with it. And so God is speaking through him. He's speaking to him. And God says in verse 9 to Elijah, he says, Arise, go to Zarephath. Again, the same place that Jesus had just talked about in the verses I read to you which belongs to Sidon. Again, where Jezebel was from. Jezebel's father was the king of the region of Sidon. And they were Baal worshipers. And so this is the place where God was calling the prophet of God to go. Now, were these friends of God or were these the enemies of God? These were, these were absolutely, these were the enemies of God. These were the enemies of God's people. These are not people who worshiped God, who worshiped the God of the Bible. They didn't worship and love God. They didn't care for God. They didn't, listen, they wanted nothing to do with the God of the Bible because they had another God that they served. They served the God Baal. And church, there's a couple things that I'm gonna share with you because I get people that are confused about some of these things. And I think that it's only fair for you to know truly where we as a church stand and some issues or things that are there. Um, I, you need to know, you need to be clear that different religions have different gods. All right? I, a different religion. Listen, Baal is different than Yahweh. They're not the same. Okay, Muhammad is different than Yahweh. And church... We worship the God of the Bible. We worship Yahweh, Jesus, the Christ, Lord, Messiah. That is who we worship. And I know there's many who say, well, you know what, not, all religions may not be the same, but we all, ultimately it all, you know, it all comes into the same funnel. We all worship the same God. It's not true. That's biblically false. Okay, we, we don't all worship the same. Some religions, listen, there's a, there's a lot of religions out there that worship demon gods. There are religions that are inspired by demons that have created them. We worship the creator of heaven and earth. 
Okay, and I'm not saying that to be arrogant. I'm just saying that God in the word of God tells us that, there are, that Satan and the demons as well will masquerade with spiritual powers. And they will masquerade to empower false prophets and bring false teachers to the forefront, saying things that tickle our ears and make us want to hear. They will create through that false religions. They will incorporate cults into their, uh, into their manifest. They will, they will come and they will bring these teachings and false doctrines and they will sound good and they will tickle our ears. But I want you to know that they are there to lead you astray, to lead you into death in this world and to lead you into a spiritual death in the eternal life that's to come. That is the intent. And so I want you to be clear today. I, I want to be honest with you. you know, there's some things that we do need to understand. Church, we are not spiritual relativists. Okay, we are not pluralists. We are Bible-following, narrow-road Christians. Yeah. Which means there is a broad road that leads to destruction. Many get on it. So when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, when Jesus says, no one, come on, say that word, no one. No. When Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except by me, we choose to agree with him. Okay, we, we don't, you know what, again, pluralists and relativists, they, they choose to take the word of God and make the word of God come into agreement with what they think. As Christians, we take the word of God and we choose to come into an agreement with what he says, with what the Bible declares. We come in agreement with him and that's because he is not the father of lies. He is the father of truth. He is truth and therefore he is a truth teller and everything that he says is absolute and true. Amen. See, our God is not just a religious leader. Our God is not a God who's dead and decaying in a grave. Our God is a resurrected King of kings, Lord of lords. Our God is Lord of all. Our God is Savior. Our God is God Almighty. Amen. It's who he is and who we serve. Now, Jesus, he's, again, in the role of prophet at this point, He's speaking to these Jewish people in, in Luke chapter 4, and, he, and he's reminding them of something. And, and I can just imagine, you know, he's in there, and he's teaching them, and he's speaking to them, and, and he says, let me just tell you about, you know, those worshipers of Baal. I mean, I want you to remember the story of Elijah. They've heard it before. Remember that story, guys? And he's telling God's people about the, the, the worshiping of Baal. He's telling about these false gods. He's telling about the, another religion. He's talking about these people that are far away. He's talking about the other team. He's talking about something that this, this would have incest them obviously more than what it does us. And it brought him to a place where it's like, what, wait a minute, what's going on? Where's he going with this? I mean, this is not making sense. And so they were confused. And in verse 9, it says, Arise. Go, he's talking to uh, Elijah. He's saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. He's again, the worshipers of Baal. So he's sending him to these people, the worshipers of Baal, and dwell there. And behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So 
the word of the Lord has come. He's told him what to do. He's told him there would be a widow there. And I want you to know just, you know, in that day, listen, life is difficult for a widow. Life is difficult. But even in, it was, incre- I mean, life in this day for a widow was absolutely the lowest place that you could find someone. They were at the bottom of the totem pole in the socioeconomic ladder. They're, I mean, they were in a difficult place. Uh, and for this woman, her husband is dead. She's got a little kid, which means she's got to take care of this little guy. And she's got to feed this little guy. She's got to watch over this little guy. She's flat, broke, poor. I mean, she is destitute. She can't even own a home. I mean, in that day, a woman couldn't own land. She couldn't vote. There was no real way for her to earn an income. Back in that day, especially in a pagan nation, for a widow, oftentimes a widow was in the same, very similar situation to a divorced woman where the only way in which they could make a living, only way in which they could earn a living was by all sorts of ill-conceived ideas and having to step out and do some things that normally wouldn't do. And so this woman is dependent on others to help. She's dependent on charity. She's dependent on, you know, the Old Testament food bank. And when you're dependent on charity like that, when you're dependent on the food bank and it doesn't rain for years and there's a drought and a severe famine in the land and you're the last one in line for the provisions... You're in big trouble. And that's where she was. This woman was at the lowest point of her life. Some of you have thought you were in the lowest place, and some of you, and again, have been in some really difficult, trying places. But this woman, she's got nothing. She is at the lowest point in life. And not only are her circumstances just totally horrible, but she's a pagan. Living in a pagan nation. She's in the wrong place. She's got the wrong God. And this poor widow has nothing going for her. She doesn't even know where to turn. She has nowhere to go. And again, this is what I love about this whole story. All that being true, God still loves her. And God still sees her. And God is still gracious to her. Come on, our God is a hero. Our God is an amazing God. And in verse 10, it says, So Elijah, he arose and went, and behold, and there he came to the gate of the city, and behold. Now again, I, I I just find it funny. I find it funny in people's lives. We still do this. But God says, I want you to arise. I want you to go to to Zarephath. And when you get there, there's going to be a widow. And so he arises, he goes to Zarephath, and there's a widow. (gasps) Surprise! How many of us, I mean, God tells us something. God gives a conditional promise to us, and God says, do this. And and so we we do that, and he says, you do that, and I'm going to bring this blessing. I'm going to do this in your life. And we do what God says to do, and then (gasps) he does it. Like, I can't believe that God did that. And so behold, I mean, I just, I, you know, I just think it's funny, but behold, a widow was gathering sticks and he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Verse 11, and as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. 
bring me bread? I mean, what's she got? She's got a bundle of sticks that she just searched for and found. And he wants her to bring bread? She has nothing. Nothing. And the prophet says, bring to me something. And she says in verse 12, and she said, as the Lord your God lives. She says, your God. It's not her God. She says, your God. She doesn't say our God. She says, your God. See, her God was probably more than likely, almost assuredly, her God was Baal. She was a Baal worshiper living in a place where Baal was worshiped. So her God was Baal. Your God, speaking about Elijah, was the God of the Bible. It's not even her God. And, and it says, and as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that she's obviously going to make a fire. And then as it says, she's going to go in and prepare for herself or for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Any of you been to a place where you felt you were having your last meal? It's a place of utter hopelessness, of terrible despair, and the poverty of this woman. Church, I don't think we understand the destitute that she was in. We just don't. And I want to talk about that, but first let me say this. Let me say thank you, church. Thank you so much for the generosity that you have, have shown in your giving and your, and your, your ministering to the church financially. Thank you. You have made a difference in so many different ways. I also want you to know that we take 10% of everything that comes in and we sow, we tithe, we give to foreign missions, to missions around the world. We give to Brother Thomas who works with street people and brings them in and gives them a home and teaches them. We give to Brother George who has Christian schools in Muslim cities. We, we give into Guatemala where they live in abject poverty in terrible, terrible places. So, you know, we, we do that. And I want to say thank you for doing that because after going to Guatemala, it changed my perspective of what we have and what we are in comparison to those around the world. Going there and listening to the things that our missionaries say, it changed my perspective. And church, let me just say, we are rich people. Yes, we, are. we are the rich people. I think we, we, we think that we're the poor people, but when we hear rich people, and again, when I said that word, I said rich people, and every one of us think about somebody else. We think of somebody else that's richer because whenever we talk about rich people, it's always somebody else that's richer than we are. We are the rich people. We think that we're poor. Oh, I can't believe it. I'm not a rich person. You know, all I've got is this dumb 3G cricket phone. We're the rich people. You're the rich people. You know what? This woman, her issue, her issue was starvation. Our issue is obesity. Church, we, we think, oh, I'm poor because I live in an apartment. Really, compare that to the corn husk walls that the houses are made of in Guatemala with dirt floors. 
Church, we are rich. You are rich. We are the rich people. Even the poorest among even the poorest that's here lives at a standard that's higher than most of the rest of the world. And to whom much is given, much is expected. And so we need to see ourselves in perspective to this woman or see this woman in perspective to where we are. She has no husband. Her husband has died. She's in destitute, abject poverty, living in this pagan nation, worshiping a demon god. It hasn't rained in years. There's this severe drought which has created a famine through all of the land. Her son is to the point where he's malnourished to where she, they're going to die. Have you seen the commercials and things where they're raising funds for kids around the world when they show pictures of what a child looks like when they are malnourished to the point of being close to death? Their stomachs are descended. It's an absolute horrible situation. And that's what this little boy is in. And the woman, she's got to be just skin and bones. I mean, what mom... Whatever it is that she had wouldn't give it to her little boy to keep him alive. So she's in this place where all she has, she's given to this little boy. And now all she has left is a few drops of oil and a little bit of flour in a canister. That's it. I mean, she doesn't have a refrigerator that she can go to. Look, she doesn't have some outdated cans that, oh, I can't eat that. She doesn't have in the back of her kid. Listen, my kids say, oh, I'm starving. We'll get something to eat. We got nothing to eat. No, you don't want to operate a can opener. <laughs> because she didn't have some outdated kidney beans to open up. She wasn't down to where now I got to eat the spam. Because we think that's starving. She was starving. She had nothing. And what she's doing is she's gathering some sticks so she can take the little bit of flour and the little bit of oil she has, mix it together, and make a couple of crackers for her and for her son. And the prophet comes along and says, I would like to eat that. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, this whole thing, it's just crazy. It's like, whatever. Are you kidding me? How many of you would be at this point like, whatever? But listen, you're from a foreign country. You have a foreign God. You, you have a pagan God. You, I'm a widow, and he's an orphan. How about this, buddy? Why don't you go get a job and bring us something to eat? Come on, I mean, we would be in that place, wouldn't we? I mean, it just seems like the, the prophet, he, are you kidding? Are you, you want the little bit, I, are you kidding me? I thought, doesn't it seem like the prophet's just being rude here? How dare you? I mean, aren't you offended with him for even asking? But church, listen. He wasn't being rude. He was inviting her 
to faith. He was inviting her to walk in faith. Encouraging her to that place to trust in God. That place where she would, okay, I'll give it to you, Lord. All right. Because faith requires we believe in something we don't see. And she certainly didn't see it. She certainly had no reason to see it. Faith is when we trust in the promises of God. But man, she didn't even know God. And yet here the prophet's inviting her to trust in him, to believe in him. In verse 13, and Elijah said to her, do not fear. Imagine somebody saying this to you. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. First, make me a little cake. First, bring me some food. Make me a little cake and bring it to me and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, not her God, but the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. So church, what is faith? Let me tell you what faith is, was not here. Faith was not her conjuring up the power or the ability to fill the jug and to manifest the flower. Okay, the Bible says God did that. Faith was her trusting and obeying God. Faith is obeying him. Faith is obeying God. Obeying his word. And here... God is speaking through the prophet Elisha. God spoke to the prophet. The word of God comes through the prophet. The prophet is the bearer of the word of God, and the word of God comes through the prophet, and faith is obeying the word of God. She's obeying. Well, what reason does she have to believe this? What reason does she have to believe that this is what's going to happen? Oh, okay, so you're telling me that if I believe you and if I do this, that God is just going to, your God is going to magically cause my food to just reproduce forever. What, what frame of reference does she have to believe this? She has none. She's, she's worshiping a pagan God in a pagan nation. She has no frame of reference, but he's calling her to this. And if you just put this, you know, in a place where, try to think, how could this be relevant? Because you imagine in our nation here, if things got so bad and things were just horribly, horribly bad, that we hadn't seen rain in years, there was famine, there was all sorts of pestilence and difficult things going on, and you were homeless and you were living over here underneath a slide in the park. And there was nothing. The stores were empty. There was no provision anywhere. You were just completely in destitute. You had nothing and no hope of having anything. But you have got one Lunchable. And you got this one Lunchable. And, and really, it's your last. I mean, there's nothing else. And I come up to you and say, hey, if you'll give me what's in your Lunchable... God will continue to make it just reappear every day for you. How many of you would be like, get lost? I know, come, no, 
This is my Lunchable. Get your own Lunchable. You know, I'm not giving this up. You would say, get lost. She said, you can have it. This pagan woman in a pagan nation said to the prophet, she said to the word of the Lord, you can have it. And she gave it to him. She is, I mean, it speaks of her. Listen, she is, she is kind. Listen, people that aren't Christians can be nice. Okay, come on. People even, they can be nice. And she's generous. And she's willing to give to the prophet. She's willing to give to the word of God what the word of God was asking her to give. And this generosity and this kindness just struck me. And I looked up, you know this, do you know statistically the most generous people, statistically the most generous people are the most poor people. The poorer you are, statistically, the more you give to church and to charity. The richer you are, statistically, the greedier we become. Again, that's just basic statistics. This woman, she gives up everything she has. Not only did she give up what was for her, but she was willing to give up what was for her kids, her son. The, the, the willingness, the generosity of this woman. God promises her that her oil will, will miraculously, or to her it was probably magically, by the provision of God, not your God, but my God, he will miraculously provide for you like the manna in the wilderness and they will never run dry. It's just going to keep on appearing. Yeah, right. Well, in verse 15 it says, and she went and did as Elijah said. And she and her household ate for many days. Amen. And you know what happened? She started putting on weight. She did. Things got better. She started, she started to improve. You know what happened? Life got better because the word of God entered into it. Life got better for her. And in verse 16, it says, the jar of flour was not spent. Again, oh, <gasps> God did what he said. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty because of the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. So what happens is this, 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 this destitute widow living in a pagan nation, worshiping a pagan demon God, starts to believe in the God of the Bible. She starts, to, she starts to, you know what? Your God, he's pretty cool. He's, he's, he's nice. I, I, you know what? Your God is loving. Your God is compassionate. Your God is, is kind. She comes to this place. And, and, and listen, even if you're a poor widow, in a foreign country, worshiping a pagan God, I want you to know, he still knows you. And he still loves you. And he still cares for you. 
and he comes to you. That's how wonderful our God is. That's how wonderful our Father is. And I know we love those stories, don't we? I mean, it's kind of like a, at the movies, you know, that everything goes bad until all of a sudden everything goes good. And we love that. Amen. We love a happy ending. But it didn't end that way. Because you know what happens? It gets hard again. And that's life. Things get difficult again. And in verse 17, it says, and after that, and you know, when things get difficult for us, when things get hard for us, when things become, you know, this little girl, this woman, she starts to believe, and all of a sudden, she, everything was getting good, her life was getting better, everything was improving. We watch that happen in people's lives here. People will come through the doors broken and wounded and hurt and defiled and just totally trashed and they will come in through those doors in the lowest place and they'll come in and they'll begin to believe. They'll begin to trust. They'll begin to hear. They'll begin to receive. They'll begin to say, well, maybe, maybe their God can help me. And they begin to incorporate some of these things into their life and then all of a sudden, guess what happens? Their life gets better. God starts to restore what's been broken. God starts to put marriages together. God restores relationships with kids. All of a sudden, things start to get better. Get a job and start to get income. And all these things get better. Because they started to believe. But when we leave it there, just believing, things get better. And they don't need God anymore. And so out the door they go. We don't see him anymore until the next tragedy. And it will come. Yes, it will. And this woman, life gets hard again. Listen, verse 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. So all this happens, and now her son dies. I mean, that's all she's got. I mean, that's it. I just, I, I, I hate putting myself in situations like that because I don't even want to think about it. It just doesn't, I just don't even, blah, 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 no. But he's dead. He's, he's passed away. And, and when this little boy dies, her hope dies. He was the hope for her future. He was the hope for her provision. He was the hope for when she grew old. He was the hope that she would, he would care for her, that he would be able to provide for her. He was her hope. And when he died, all of her hope died. But not just that. There was more. I, you know, I, I have kids, and they're grown now, and, and, and I have a, a five- and an eight-year-old grandson, and probably close to the age of this little boy. And if one of them was to, was to die, I, I, don't know, I don't know how I would handle it. I don't know how I would deal with it. I mean, such a huge part of me would die with them. And some of you have been through circumstances and situations, and please, my sympathy goes out for those who have walked through these 
streets like she has. You understand what she was going through much better than I do. I don't even like to imagine the kind of pain and anguish that that would create. And this one little boy, this is all she's got. She's got nothing. She's got no money. She's got no husband. And now the only thing she had, this little boy, he dies. And in verse 18, and she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? See, the woman, she's begun to believe in God, but she did not understand God. Okay, there's a big difference there. As I said at the very beginning, she had started to believe, but she didn't come to understanding. And when we don't have understanding, what will happen is something bad will happen in our life, and the first thing we do is turn and blame God. Why did you do this, God? Why did you do that, God? And we think God's punishing us. And this is what happens with people as well. We watch that. Isn't it funny? Not funny, funny, but isn't it bad choice of words, but isn't it ironic that when she, when the prophet showed up and she was gathering sticks so they could eat their dinner and die, she wasn't blaming God then. All of a sudden, she, God had come into her life and made things better and God had improved her situation and God had begun to do for her. And now all of a sudden, something tragic happens in her life and she turns and points her finger at the man of God, the word of God, the word at God and says, why did you do this to me, God? What have I done? And how many of us do the same thing? We make bad choices in our life and do things that God says, don't do that. And then we get the results that God said we would get, and then we blame God. Why did you do this? What sin is in my life? What is it that's happened here? And let me just tell you, church, when bad things go on in your life, when bad things happen in your life, it, is not, it can be a lot of things. It is never God punishing you. Okay, it is never God punishing you. He goes on here and he says, you, and she says, you have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. She's like, what, what sin have I, have I committed? What, what is it that I've done that I'm being punished for this? And honestly, she's in a place where she's looking forward to something that you and I have the privilege of looking back to. But she does not understand God. She does not understand that ultimately a Savior was coming, that a Savior would come and he would choose God himself in the flesh to die in her place for her sin, and that God would take and put the punishment that was hers to have, the punishment that she deserved, and he would take that punishment and he would place it upon Jesus Christ, and he would die for the sins of another person. She doesn't understand that. She doesn't understand God that way. See, some of you don't understand God that way. God does, he comes and he corrects. And God chastens and God disciplines because he loves you. And that's why he comes and does that. But if you are in Christ today, he does not punish you. 
Okay, please, get that into your, we have to understand that. I am teaching you this today so that you understand this. God does not punish you. He placed your punishment upon Jesus Christ. And what you deserve, Jesus took. And it was for your sins that he died. The punishment, church, has already been taken care of for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? She doesn't understand that. She doesn't understand the God of the Bible. And in verse 19, and, and he said, again, talking about Elijah, he said to her, give me your son, and he took him from her arms. Now, I mean, it's bad enough to have lost your son, but I can't imagine how the heart of a mom would be torn as she carries her dead son. And she took her dead son, and she took it, him to the prophet to the word of God and she put what died into the hands of the word of God the prophet she gave her son she gave what died to the prophet church are you willing to give those places in your life that have died those important places in your life that have expired those places where there's decay and, and, and pain are you willing to take those places and to put them into the hands of God, the word of God? She did. She became willing. I, I can't fathom what she was going through, the devastation that she was feeling, how distraught and discouraged she was, yet she still responded and gave God her pain, her loss, her boy. And it says, and, and so it says, he took him from her arms and carried him up to the upper chamber where he lodged. I, and again, I find this amazing. She allowed Elijah, not only did she feed him, but she gave him a place to stay. I was thinking about that. I thought, wow, that is crazy that this pagan woman gave the man of God a place to stay. And it hit me when I was going through that and just thinking about this. You know what she did? She gave the prophet room in her life. Have you given the prophet room in your life? I mean, or is your house so cluttered, so filled, so overwhelmed with the stresses and, the, and, the, and the, just the things of life that you just don't have room? See, in everything that was going on, she made room for the prophet in her life. And she invited him in. And we see the generosity of this woman to give the man of God, to give the word of God a place to stay, a place to be. And she feeds him. And it says, and he laid him on his own bed. And in verse 20, he cried out to the Lord. Now again, Elijah loves the Lord, but he's devastated at this little boy's death. And he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Now that sounds really harsh. But what he does not do here, and I want you to recognize this, what, what, the, what the prophet Elijah does not do is he does not accuse God. He is inquiring of God. He is asking him. I, I was praying with a couple a while back and, and they were really struggling with some loss in their life. And she was 
just at a place where she was bitter and upset because of a long string of miscarriages that had just been happening in her life. And, and my heart went out to her, and, and she was asking, you know, what is it that I've done? What, what is going on? Why, what sin is in my life? What's in there that I I said, listen, don't, please just be careful. Don't accuse God. Church, don't blame God for what the devil's done. Jesus came to bring life and life more abundantly. The Bible says everything good comes down from above, coming from the Father of heavenly lights. Yet the prince of this world is the one who has come, the father of lies, to rob, to steal, to kill and destroy. Don't blame God for what the devil has done. Okay, put blame where blame is due. Because church, listen, God, we don't accuse him. We can inquire of him. We can ask him. He is not afraid for us to do that. We can ask him those questions. Listen, say, I don't understand, God. I don't understand. I'm totally confused here. And that's what Elijah is saying. God, I thought you loved this woman and her son. You sent me to them. I went to them and they gave me a place to stay. They honored me because of you. And they took care of me and gave me a room and, a, and food to eat. And God, I know you loved them and I know you cared for them. So God, why does their son die? I don't understand. Church, you can talk to God that way in your trials and in the difficulties of your life. In fact, God wants you to. He wants you to bring those things. But again, it's not in a place of accusation against God. It's inquiring of him. Because church, you don't know what God is doing. You don't know what God is thinking. You don't know how God may be moving behind the scenes. What we do know is that God says, I will work all things to good for those who trust and believe in the Lord. So he is behind the scenes working in good. But don't blame him for everything bad that happens. This is where we have to grow in our understanding of the God in whom we believe. And in verse 21, then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. Not once, not twice, but three times he puts himself over the top, face to face with this dead little boy. And he stretches himself out over the top of, and, and he says this three times. The word of the Lord came three times over that little boy. The dead little boy. Reminds me of the three days in the grave that Jesus spent till the word of the Lord called him out and said, come. And life came into that dead flesh. And here, Elisha, he extends himself out over that little boy three times. Oh, Lord, my God, let this child's life come to him again. And then in verse 22, and the Lord, what? This is, this is one of the most amazing words that we will see in Scripture. And the Lord, what? Listen. Come on, the Lord, what? Listen. And the Lord listens. Church, we are, we are the only religion we are the only, those, the only ones that have a relationship with a God that's not dead in the grave. We have a God that's alive, and we have the God who listens. 
We have a God who listens to us, a God who listens to the cries of his people. This is what we love about God, that he listens. This is why we pray, because when you pray, you can know if he was willing to listen in this time, he's willing to listen now. The Lord listens. The Lord listens to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came back into him again, and he revived Man, that little boy came back to life. The dead came back to life. Listen, again, I want you to see the little, what this little, she went through an inner devastation. She took her, the dead boy and put him into the hands of the prophet, the word of God. The prophet took that little boy and the word of God began to minister to him and God brought those dead places back to life. He brought this all, whole thing. He brought it back. Listen, do you know that we believe this? Amen. We believe this. I mean, as, as, as a church, we believe this. Amen. God raises the dead. Yes, God can actually do it. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen. That's why we call it a miracle. All right, it's not usual, it's unusual, but God can do that. God can raise the dead, and we believe that God can raise the dead. There's nothing that's impossible for our God. And in fact, he's going to do it. He's going to read that from their position, looking forward into the future, God was going to raise Jesus Christ from the tomb after three days, and he was going to bring him back unto life. And looking for even beyond that, God was going to take you in the dead places of your life and bring resurrection life. He was going to bring back to you life from what was was dead. So church, whether it's now or later, the dead rise. Little boys, little girls who die will rise. Those who believe and who love Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Savior of their life will rise to eternal life and never suffer and never get sick and never get hungry. And the Bible says, and will never die again. Church, we also believe that the world that we live in today and, and, and all of the things that are going on and all of the things that are happening in our nation and around the world culturally, uh, spiritually, physically, all the things that are going on are a result of sin, rebellion, and Satan. Okay, they're the, he, they're, they're the ones that are bringing these things about. And we believe that the re- world is the way it is because of Satan. And we believe that because of that, Jesus Christ came into this world to be the hero that would save us, that would come and redeem us, that would come and bring life to us, that he would come into this world of death and bring life to those who would call upon his name. We believe in Jesus Christ. He's the hero in church. Religion is the enemy. Okay, religion, all religion can do is expose the need for a hero. That's all that religion can do. And it will do that and continue to do that to reveal that we need a Savior and that Jesus Christ is that Savior. Because church, listen, every one of us, I mean, should the Lord tarry, you will all die. Your sons and your daughters will die. And the only hope we have is in Christ. 
And in Christ, the promise of God is that they will rise like that little boy arose. He was giving us in this a foretaste of the kingdom and the resurrection, the power and the healing that's to come. And in verse 23, and Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mom. I can't imagine the joy. My child was dead. And he came walking back. The joy that would come in this time. This is my little boy. All the hope that was gone is restored. I'm going to watch him grow up. I'm going to watch him learn. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help him learn how to skip a rock. I'm going to help him climb a tree. I'm going to get to watch him do all of these things. My son is alive. That which is dead is life. You know what God was doing? He was restoring hope to her, restoring a future to her, restoring life to her. Yes, and Elijah says, see, your son lives. This is God, he's telling these people, he's telling these people in this pagan place, God had taken the light, put it into the middle of the darkness in this pagan nation, in this pagan widow's home, and done these miraculous things, and God from that light was declaring to that widow and to all those that were around, the God, the God of the Bible, the real God, he knows you, he loves you, he sees you, he pays attention to you, he cares for you, and he can do for you what your pagan demon God can can never do for you. And he's declaring this. And in verse 24, and the woman said to Elijah, and this is that point of revelation. And the woman says to Elijah, I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. She fully received the prophet and the word of the Lord that came through him. And she's like, I know what you say is true. Look, have you received the word of the prophet, capital P prophet, into your life where you know that what you say is true, Lord? I mean what you say is true, so I will obey you. True. There's a difference there. Are we willing to obey? You see, she believes and she obeys. She believes the God of the Bible now, and she becomes a worshiper of God. What she did was she accepted the prophet. She accepted the word of the Lord. And when she accepted the prophet, when she accepted the word of the Lord, she didn't know it. But when she accepted the prophet, she accepted the word of the Lord, and the kingdom of God broke into her life. The kingdom of God when the kingdom of God breaks into our life, when God comes and moves into our life, he does it through the prophet, through the word of God, through the living word of God. And he'll do it to a people that are far, far away from God. I think it's amazing what Jesus did here. Worship team, come on back up, would you please? So this whole story, this is what Jesus is telling to the people in Luke chapter four. This is what he's telling to a synagogue of, of people, the people of God that are there, right there in the, in, Jesus is preaching to them. A bunch of religious Jewish people in a synagogue. You know what? They were the people that were the most familiar with him. And it says in the end of this, it says that Jesus walked right through the middle of them. They were trying to kill him. Jesus walked through the middle of them. And he was saying, you know what? I'll walk through the middle of you. 
But like the prophet, I will go to a people that are far, far away. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to those who will respond by faith. I'm going to go to those who will be in faith. And Jesus, he's telling those people that were there in the synagogue, the people of God, he was saying, and this is what got him so angry, you're more needy than that widow. You're, you're more needy and farther from God than she was. You have less faith than a pagan widow worshiping a demon god. And they got mad. They didn't want to hear that. And he begins by saying, and before I start, let me just tell you, by the time I'm done with my sermon, you're going to hate me. And he was well on his way, halfway. Next week, this next story is absolutely fascinating when you look at it, the story of Naaman. And we're going to dive into that next week. But Jesus in this place, these, these religious people, religious people don't want to hear that they're in a worse condition spiritually than a pagan, Gentile, demon, God-worshipping, starving, poor widow. Religious people don't want to hear that you're farther from God than all those unsaved unbelievers that are out there in this world today. Religious people don't want to hear they didn't want to hear and still today don't want to hear. Well, I've been in church my whole life. So what? So were these people. And it may not give hope to some of those who are standing tall upon their religious accolades. But this should certainly give hope to those today who have no hope. This should bring hope to those who feel that something in them has died at some point or another. That if you will take it and bring it and lay it at the cross, put it into the word, put it into the hands of the word of God. God can bring resurrection power to those dead places. God can make dead places come to life. God can restore what the canker worm has eaten. God can come and do what no man can. And this story should bring hope to those who are stuck in a hopeless, helpless, powerless religion. This story should bring hope to those who are worshiping false gods, who have set up false idols, who begin to, to worship false doctrines. This should bring hope to those who are separated from God. This should bring hope to those who don't know God, who have never heard of God, who have never received God. This should bring hope to those who have fallen away, to those who walked through the doors and begun to believe, and when everything got better, they walked away from God. This should bring hope to you. This should bring hope to those who, when things got really bad, begun to blame God and walked away from God or begun to blame God for what some person of God did or said. This should bring hope to those who are not good enough. This should bring hope to those who don't have enough, to those who don't feel worthy enough. This, this should bring hope to those who are in a place, who are living in a place where you feel like, you know what, I, there is absolutely no way that I can reach God. You don't know what I've done. 
You don't know what my life has held. You don't know the kind of things I have committed. You don't know the things that have happened to me. This should bring hope to those who are living in a distant land because you may not feel that you can reach God, but this story tells you He can and will reach you. And Jesus was telling those people that day in the synagogue that just like God sent the Elisha, Elisha to the widow, that God had sent the capital P prophet to them. And that the prophet had come to Nazareth and they refused to recognize him. They, rec they refused to receive him. They refused to believe him. And they refused to obey him. And because of that, he walked through them. And in the same way that God sent the prophet then, he also today wants you to know that today you have heard the word of the prophet. Oh, he just used this broken human being to bring that word to you. But the word of God, the very living word of God, he is that word. And what we have read today is what God is saying to you. You have heard the word of the Lord that has come to you. He has spoken to you. God sent the prophet, Jesus the Christ. He is his word. And the question for us is, will we recognize that? Will we receive him? Will we believe him? And will we obey him? That church is what God wants us to wrestle with. She just believed. She just trusted. Okay, Lord. I put it in your hands. Will we recognize and will we receive what God, who God has sent for us? to minister his word. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I pray today for those in this place that are being ministered to by your word. Lord, we put a lot of word out there and I, and I pray, Lord, that hey, if I didn't rightly divide it, I pray the Holy Spirit, you would rightly divide it by the time it hits the ears of the hearers to receive what you are saying today. And I pray that for those who are apart from you today, for those who may not know you as the Lord and the Savior of their life, I pray that today, Lord, they would call out to you, no matter where they've been or what they've gone th been through, to call out to a God who loves them, a God who has drawn them, a God who came into this world for them to minister life into dead places. For those who have fallen away, I pray God come and draw them home. Draw them, Lord God, to your presence. Let them know, Lord, your love. Let them respond to you. And God, I pray that today, those each one that's here with hurts and pains and brokenness in their life, I pray that they would find the faith, find the ability by the power of your spirit, Lord, to take those dead places and to place them into your hand and say, Lord, here, take these places. I trust you will do what only you can with them. Lord, in, in the midst of death, in your word, I pray that you bring life, that you bring your healing, that you bring your grace, that you bring glory, Lord, to these places. Because I cannot. So, Lord, minister. As you did to the woman, this widow, Lord, minister to those that have been hurt and experienced loss. Bring restoration. 
Lord, in the middle of all the darkness of our life, let your light shine in the hearts of those you've sent your word to. Do it today, Lord. Do it in this place. Even now, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So while your heads are bowed, what will you do with what God is asking of you? What is God asking you to put in his hands? What is God asking you to trust him with? What is God asking you to do? To respond? Church, will you try to figure it out or will you just trust him? Can you give him that little bit of oil and the handful of flour? That's between you and him. signs and wonders that have happened in the hearts of men and women. 
I want to thank you, Lord, for the dead places that have become alive. I want to thank you today, Lord, for the resurrection power that you've ministered, Lord, in the souls and the hearts and in the minds of your people. Thank you, Lord. You are a good, good God. And Jesus, you are our hero. We love you. We thank you. And we bless you, Lord. We bless your holy name. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray today. Amen? Amen. Church, I love you. I pray God's blessings over you. Go be the church. Amen? Hey, and don't forget, go get your kids. They're already probably mad at me, so tell them it's your fault. God bless y'all.